Ziploc that Right on my waistline is why I kept that strap I remember nights, I didn't remember nights I damn near went crazy, I had to get it right Now I'm your favorite rapper's favorite rapper Hey, now I'm your favorite trapper's favorite trapper The absolute truth, yeah, no joke Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Trap Draw Podcast. I hope everybody listening, at least in the United States, has a wonderful Thanksgiving week this week. This is a very fun episode for me. It is going to be a conversation with the Athletics' Brendan Quinn, all about college basketball. This is feast week for college basketball, a great time to watch a ton of games. Before we get to that conversation, though, I want to thank one of our sponsors right off the top, that is Roback, Roback Activewear. They have been gaining traction big time, and we love the fit and feel of their gear. The quality is top-notch. I want to talk about three of their products. First, their performance polos. They fit so much better than your typical boxy polos, and they have it all design-wise. Fire prints, classic stripes, simple solids. The four-way stretch material is next level and wrinkle-free, and the collars never lose their shape. Combine it all, and that is why Roback polos are unmatched. Second, their performance Q-Zips are a game changer when it comes to fall golf. They're so soft, you'll be throwing darts all day. Perfect for a crisp early morning 18, a run around the block, a day in the office, or even a night out. Truly the definition of versatile. And then third, Roback's performance hoodies. These things are legitimately the most comfortable hoodies we've worn on the course and off of it. Hands down the softest, stretchiest hoodies in golf. Just asking to be worn out on the links. Listeners, right now. Go to Roback.com, use code TRAP, T-R-A-P, for a generous 20% off your first order through the end of this week. That's spelled R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. And get 20% off all polos, Q-zips, hoodies, and tees with code TRAP. Trust us when we say you can't beat Roback. Check them out now. And without further ado, let's bring on Brendan Quinn and talk some college hoops. All right, and now joining me, uh, the second annual, I talked to him last year, one of my favorite college basketball people around, Brendan Quinn of The Athletic. You can find him, well, if if Twitter still exists when we're all listening to this, at BF Quinn on Twitter, and of course you can find his writing about college hoops and golf, I might add, and golf over at The Athletic. Uh, Brendan, thanks so much for coming back on the Trap Draw to talk college hoops. How are you this morning? This is always the highest, highest honor. Uh, yeah, I'm great. As long as we're not talking golf, I'm great. Because I have not... <laughs> Amen. I, yeah. Man, that thing ended and I was like, just wash the hands. This summer sucks. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm just going to focus on hoops. Uh, rarely do you like go to college sports and NCAA and be like, this is less complicated than the other sport. But uh, yeah, golf kind of sucks right now. So... <laughs> Uh, amen to that. The trap draw is a, a zero golf space, so uh, it's a beautiful is, thing. Yeah, this is a safe space for us. Um, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, big. I listened to uh, one of the last episodes. Your uh, the World Cup preview. Oh yes, yeah, right, yeah. And uh, when you were talking about the monastery, it really jumped out to me that uh, I feel like Big Randy and the monks would be an all time band name i, I imagine oh. going through like a uh an estate sale and finding a box of records and flipping through <laughs> and coming upon big randy and the monks yeah you know i, I never I, those tapes i don't think they ever actually got published but uh yeah they did make some music that one time 
Uh, well, if I ever, yeah, if I ever get diligent with my piano lessons, that's uh, that's a good band name for me. <laughs> Uh, well, and I can assure folks, you are more of an expert on college basketball than our uh, than our buddy was on the World Cup. So let's. Uh, I, I guess before <laughs> before we dive in, besides the athletic and Twitter, anything to plug off the top? I don't know if uh, you're doing podcasts or, or any other projects that I failed to mention here. Yeah, I'd say for any hoops fans that are particularly nerdish about the Big Ten in particular would probably enjoy my pod, uh, The Moving Screen, with uh, with the great Dylan Burkhart. We talk all things Big Ten basketball. Um, I'm based in Michigan, and I'd covered Michigan for years, kind of before sliding over to this, whatever you want to call it, like national-ish role. Um, but, yeah, so I'm in the heart of Big Ten country out here. So we talk we talk all things Midwest hoops, which I know is just music to your your ears. It is. It is. Uh, well, that's perfect. The Moving Screen Podcast, that's awesome. Uh, Thanksgiving week is one of the best times for college hoops. I can remember growing up, it seemed like it was the preseason NIT, the Maui Invitational, and the Great Alaskan Shootout. These days, we have a ton, a ton, a ton of different tournaments, but it's still a great week for college basketball fans. There's, there's games at all hours of the day, all over the country. Um, so I figured, good time to catch up with you. Let's start here. What uh, you know? I know you did a lot of preseason traveling and and story writing. Any any favorite projects you worked on in the preseason? Well, you know, there's a there's a, a young guy named uh, Imani Bates who I've watched for a long time. He's from Ypsilanti, which is this little kind of town outside of Ann Arbor. Um, so in Southeast Michigan, you basically have Detroit. You've got this kind of like weird area between Detroit and Ann Arbor where that's where the airport is and stuff. And then kind of between the airport and Ann Arbor is Ypsilanti. And uh, from this town is uh, is where Amani Bates kind of sprang from years ago and landed on the cover of Sports Illustrated at age 15. And um, I was working for a, kind of a different outlet at the time and it was a local outlet and it's just, oh my God, the, you know, the young LeBron type character is right around the corner. So, you know, I saw him play in high school and anyone who's followed his story kind of knows, you're right. It was always this hope that they would change the NBA draft rule and he could go early to the league. That never happened. So instead, uh, when his father created a school for him to play it in his, what, would have been his junior year of high school. That did not go swimmingly. And uh, <laughs> then he reclassified to go to college early and went to Memphis last year. Also did not go swimmingly. Uh, and now kind of against all odds possible, he is back in Ypsilanti and playing at Eastern Michigan University. So uh, yeah, I was kind of around the program a little bit in the preseason and I didn't actually talk to him. They, he's very much exists in a bubble. Uh, but I was around the program hanging out with like Stan Heath, who I imagine, you know, hoops fans will remember from his stints, um, at USF, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, yeah, I mean, just a fascinating thing where it's this guy who was this colossal world talent and said to be the next Kevin Durant is suddenly back in his hometown and playing in the arena that he filled when he went to Lincoln high school. So like back in the day when he was in high school, Lincoln would play there, fill it, 
and then EMU would play there like two two nights later, and no one would be there. Yeah. And and now he's playing there as a collegian, and uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch. And he put it on Michigan last week, playing them in Detroit, and uh, that's when the story ran afterward. But um, yeah, that's been a, a pretty wild thing to kind of follow through this preseason. And what's it, what, did you come out of that with a sense? And certainly, it, maybe it's too early to tell in terms of the season, but I. I feel like what makes this such a fascinating story is you have this this prodigy that kind of is at a crossroads between saving uh, an MBA, potential MBA career, or becoming another one of those people that, God, do you remember when? Kind of a, mm-hmm. uh, a cautionary tale for, for other young prodigy-esque hoops players. Do you, do you have any sense kind of where you think this story might be headed, or is that what we're all going to witness yeah. over the next you know, kind of four to five months. Yeah. I think like part of the problem has always been trying to predict that thing and kind of putting it on this guy to be something that um, is really hard to be, you know, it's really hard to be like a top 10 pick in the NBA draft. And when you're said that you're going to be that when you're 14, well, really you're just kind of being set up to fail. So I think that's something he's kind of gone against his whole life. I think it's something, you know, I've, I've described his father as kind of this character who's like driving around 100 miles an hour with the windows down in his car and there's a winning lottery ticket on the dashboard and you're just <laughs> hoping it doesn't fly out the window right you're like only thing that can happen is something bad you know and he gets popped for an arrest for having a gun and weed in the car you know, this uh, preseason and you're just like oh man like these are the headlines you just don't want to see but yeah, i've talked to people who you know like national scouts and stuff who watched him when he was 14 and they still say he was the best 14-year-old prospect I've ever seen in my life. There are still guys who say that. And, you know, I obviously take their word for it. They would know better than me. Um, and But it's all, it's all spoken about in the past tense. And then you're like, he's 18. Like, yeah. he should be a freshman in college now. And instead, it's been like he was said at 14 or 15, he's going to be the number one pick in whatever draft. And it was just a race to get there. But, like, you don't get to, like, just – Hit, I hate to use a cliche, but like you don't get to just like hit fast forward and just so the whole their whole challenge his whole life has just been trying to bridge the gap between him being alive in the present day and him trying to get to this like imaginary date in 2023 or whenever it is he's eligible. Well, it's such a fascinating story. Uh, selfishly, I love that he's at Eastern Michigan this year. Mm-hmm. In the MAC, obviously a conference that I, I follow pretty closely. Part of me never thought he would actually play a game for Eastern Michigan, but he is playing, so I think that's a, a big first first step, quite honestly. Um, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see how his season goes. I wanted to start the kind of uh, diving into the broad world of college basketball. There's no easy way, no great way to do this, but... Um, mm-hmm. To ask you about the consensus preseason All-Americans and just maybe quick thought, word, or phrase that, that pops to mind for these guys, it's it seems like it's the year of the big, uh, mm-hmm. at least as far as the top-end you know, All-American type, type talents go in college basketball. So let me just read you. These are more or less the consensus preseason All-American guys. Brendan, uh, and if any of them you think are undeserving or if they're guys that you would have put on this first team, would love to hear that. But I think we have to start with Drew Timmy. Feels like he's mm-hmm. been in school now at Gonzaga for like 10 years. I, I think any 
college basketball fans obviously know about him. But what's the first thing that pops to mind uh, when I say the name Drew Timmy for you? Points. Points in production. I mean, the dude has just been a bucket since he was a freshman, you know, and um, he's just going to keep scoring and scoring and scoring. And it's just like a matter of will Gonzago actually win a title with him? Because that's what it's just always been for Gonzaga, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I read where I think in Drew Timmy over the last three years, Gonzaga is 90 and seven, uh, <laughs> but which is just, it's stupid. Obviously, though, missing that national championship, which they, they still have not won as a, as a program. The next guy, I don't, I, I mean, I consider myself a pretty big basketball fan. This is a total blind spot. Oscar Shibwe from Kentucky. You nailed the pronunciation, though. Did I? Okay. All right. You did. All right. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say modern college basketball when it comes to Oscar in terms of my first thought, because in another world, he is not still in college basketball at all. Okay. There's no chance. He would have won National Player of the Year last year and turned pro, period. You know, he last year was his junior season. Like, he spent two years at West Virginia, which a lot of people forget, and, like, how Bob Huggins loses a, loses a guy that goes and wins National Player of the Year. That's that mm-hmm. stinks. But, um, yeah, in any other universe, he would have averaged whatever it was last year, 19 and 16 per game and turned pro. But, you know, he wasn't a lottery pick, really, because he's a – true center and that doesn't really exist in the nba per se but in college and at kentucky you have all the value in the world so his nil opportunities are completely insane so he's just raking in the dough in one more year of college basketball and that's what we get now you know all the people who thought name image and likeness was going to ruin college basketball you know god forbid these kids get paid can't have that uh well it turns out for a lot of dudes it's going to keep them in college longer and that's that's really the theme of this consensus all-American team, uh, mm-hmm. upper, upperclassmen, which you know <laughs> I realize maybe be not might not be the best thing for <laughs> NBA draft prospects, but uh, great for great for the game of college basketball. The next guy really burst onto the scene. I thought uh, end of last year into the tournament, North Carolina's Armando Baku. Am I saying that last name? Baycott, okay. Yeah. Trying to give him a little French. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he appreciates it. French pronunciation there. He, yeah, uh, he, yeah, what are your thoughts on him? Uh, it'll be another year of just kind of monster double-doubles and crazy production. And, um, you know, he's, he's a guy who we probably would have been talking more about last year when he was going for like 28 and 20 against this team or that team, Louisville. He went for like 30 and 20 or something like that. Um, but North Carolina was kind of in the abyss for a lot of last year. They were an eight seed for a reason um, in the NCAA tournament. Yes, they went to the national championship game. However, they were an eight seed for a reason um, and they were kind of off the grid. So he was putting up these monster numbers, but everyone was just busy talking about Duke and Kay's swan song and blah, 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 and all these other players and Oscar being among them uh, in college basketball while Baycott was just kind of doing his thing, but North Carolina wasn't really good. And then you look at his numbers in February of last year and into March, and he went to another level and Carolina went to another level. And, you know, he kind of carried them through there. And same thing with Oscar, you know, he, he probably wouldn't be in college basketball in another world. And same thing as the next guy, I'm guessing you're going to mention who is at the university of Michigan. No, that's okay. Well, here, so the last <laughs> two I have 
are uh, and maybe I need to look at different <laughs> different lists. But I have uh, Houston's Marcus Sasser and yeah. uh, UCLA's Jaime Hawkes. Yeah. Okay. Well, spoiler. I was th- I thought Hunter Dickinson was the the next one coming because you know you the, the year of the big. He's right. in that list. There's a couple other guys in that list, but you know you do have to have some 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 kind of guards on an all American team, right? You can't just run five guys out there or. Six ten and over. Yeah, we're uh, gonna stick to position rules. I, I like. When, I like uh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sasser's a Sasser's a beast. Um, you know, a guy who kind of represents Houston basketball. I think. Like, I don't know what Kelvin Sampson does. It's kind of like Purdue and big men, where you're like, do you have? Did they have a factory where they're just producing these seven foot guys? Yeah. Like, where are you getting all of these guys, Matt Painter? Um, Kelvin Sampson at Houston just finds these three-star dudes, turns them into absolute dogs, and then they just kill everyone. And that's what Houston basketball does. So uh, Marcus Sasser is like the epitome of that. He was a three-star guy. Jamal Sheed was a three-star guy. Juwan Roberts was a three-star guy. And and then he turns them into like All-Americans. And yeah, Sasser is probably one of the best guards in the country, one of the baddest guys out there. And that's – he just – he kind of epitomizes what Kelvin Sampson has done with that program, I think. And and Hawk has, I mean, I watch him and it's like, this guy is going to terrorize YMCA games well into <laughs> his, his 50s and 60s. I mean, I, I feel like that's a little bit how it looks like to me. He plays, you know, he's, he's not the most breathtaking athlete, but man, he's just got a great basketball sense and and knows how to score and get to spots and and is really disruptive that way yeah i mean he's a guy who shoots like you know what 50 probably 53 54 percent on twos and 40 percent on threes and like it just has all the in-between game he's just he's smooth he's crafty and he's he's playing with a guy in tiger campbell who's his point guard who he's played with now for i think seven years or something and yeah they just know how to they know how to play off each other he knows how to get him the ball where he wants it, like hits him in the pocket every time for him to, you know, shoot the shots that he wants to take. And yeah, I mean, it's crazy that he's still in college basketball too. When you look back on that final four run that UCLA had when they were an 11 seed, right? Coming out of Dayton, I think. Mm-hmm. I th- yeah. um, and he just made every shot in that tournament. It seemed like, and you were just like, Oh, is this guy just kind of on a magic carpet ride? Or is he really this good? And, you know, last year his three point shooting shot off a bit. But uh, he did prove to kind of be one of the you know elite scorers in in college hoops. Well, let's. Um, I want to ask you about any newcomers you like. I know uh, Nick Smith down at Arkansas is is probably the most ballyhooed at least coming into the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and any other freshmen that that really have caught your attention, or you maybe you haven't really watched them yet, but are most excited to see. Yeah, Nick Smith's an interesting one. I mean, he's probably the most explosive guy. He'll probably be the highest draft pick of the current crop of of freshmen because when you look at the upcoming draft, the the top the projected top three picks are not playing college basketball right now. So yeah. I heard um, there's a Frenchman that that people like. I, I you know I'm just hearing about. That. I'm just joking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a giraffe on the basketball court. Well, yeah. Like yeah, could be the, the biggest <laughs> freak to enter the league ever. Uh, I mean, if people yeah. have not like watched watched him, that's it's that's that's a whole YouTube wormhole to fall down. But 
Um, yeah, like Nick Smith might be the the first actual college player taking the draft. And we still haven't seen him play yet. He's been held out of uh, Arkansas's first three games with what they're saying is like precautionary right knee stuff, Ugh. which you don't like to hear. And you're like, yeah, well, I hope they don't lose any games because the last thing you want is them to start like, you know, take a couple L's and then it's like, well, all right, it's not worth it for me to even bother playing. Exactly. Right. But if, if they're 10 and 0, cause I mean, Arkansas is still really, really, really good even without him. Um, but you know, with him, they're a possible, like maybe a final four level team. Um, but just an incredible score, dynamic guy. I mentioned uh, Houston and who's all there. Like, so the difference with this year's version of Houston is so you have Saucer or Sasser, Sheed, Roberts, guys like that, those kind of three-star prospects that that Samson brings in. But then this year they bring in Jarris Walker, who's like a legit 6'8", five-star kid from IMG, probably a top 15 pick in the draft, just unbelievable talent. And you add him to this mix of old dudes. And uh, you're like, oh, my God. You know, they are really good. They they just put it on my St. Joe's Hawks on the uh, what's the second game of the year. I think it was Houston's second game and the Hawks opener. So that's my proud alma mater. And that was that was rough. <laughs> it's like so, they're playing a different sport. Wow. No no shame in that. God, those these Houston teams have been so good, so physical, just a relentlessness that they play with. Yeah. I, I enjoy watching watching Houston play. Yeah. And the other, the other freshman that I've been kind of fascinated by early is is Dylan Mitchell at Texas. Okay. Um, another group, another team that like brings back an, a lot of kind of known commodities, guys like uh, Timmy Allen and Marcus Carr, and then they brought in um, Tyrese Hunter as a transfer from Iowa State. He might be like the he could be one of the best guards in the country. He's unbelievable. But um, you, you add Dylan Mitchell, and he's just this insane six eight athlete just an absolute terror on defense and in transition you know like texas plays way above the rim and he kind of fits right in that like chris beard's gonna get that that texas program going really strong here uh sooner than later and and that's a good has to right yeah yeah (laughs) like he did it it was what happened at texas tech wasn't an accident exactly you know? know and like the way that they're built this team right now, they're just super athletic. They defend the hell out of the perimeter. They score at the rim. Like, you'd probably want them to shoot threes a little bit better. They're at, like, 30% right now. But Hunter is incredible. Uh, Marcus Carr knows what he's doing. Timmy Allen knows what he's doing. Um, like, if you look at his – if you look at Beard's 2018 and 2019 Texas Tech teams, I think both of them – led the Big 12 in defensive efficiency. So for for your listeners, right? So Goff geeks use strokes gained. Basketball geeks use efficiency stats. So that's points per possession as like the ultimate measure of a high-level defense, a high-level offense. So at Texas Tech, like Beard just turned that defense into an absolute, um, well, hey man, Mark Adams, his assistant, I should say, uh, turned that defensive unit into just an absolute hellraiser and they were holding teams to like 0.85 points per possession which is just stupid and there's a chance that this texas team i think gets into that range they might not be that good but they could be really really good defensively and 
you know, Beard took his 18 team to the Elite Eight. He took his 19 team to the national championship game. So, like, is this Texas team that good? I don't know, but it, it could be. They beat the hell out of Arkansas in a charity exhibition by 30 and just beat Gonzaga by 20. So I think that's kind of like the early season story right now. And that was the score that that really popped off for me was that Gonzaga score because we talked about Drew Timmy. I mean, Gonzaga has lost pieces, but that's, you know, they've obviously been one of the best programs in college basketball and just reload every year. Uh God, I'm really disappointed. I'm going to have to watch a lot of Texas basketball this year. It sounds like I, you know, that's that's going to be a better than watching point. Texas football. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Hey, everybody! Sorry to interrupt the college basketball talk, but I want to thank our other sponsor today, and that is DraftKings Sportsbook. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is my go-to when betting on the NFL this holiday season. They have all the classic lines. They have same-game parlays, easy, fast payouts, player prop options. Whatever you're looking for, DraftKings Sportsbook has it. And right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out right now. Everyone can earn up to 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, point totals, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Listeners, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code NLU. Place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code NLU. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Now let's get back to our college basketball discussion. Uh, well, let me let me kind of go conference by conference, at least the, through the power, uh, through the quote-unquote power conferences. Get, mm-hmm. get some quick thoughts on... On you from that. Uh, let's start with your your Big Ten. It seems to me it, it's kind of five teams are are more or less the cream of the crop in the league, and I would I would put Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Purdue, and Michigan State in that group. Is that fair to you? Uh, who do you like most out of that group? And then you know maybe who did you just give me? Who did you I give me? you uh, both Michigan schools, Michigan, Michigan yeah. State, and then yeah. Indiana, Purdue, and Illinois. I would probably put Iowa in that group. Okay. Right now they are going to score the ball because they always do. Um, they'll be a top five or top 10 offense nationally again. And the defense is actually getting better at Iowa, which is something that has not happened uh, of late. Like last year was a big step forward, but those Garza teams like just could not defend the ball. It was just, it was brutal to watch this team. Pretty good. They lost Bahannon, who was kind of their worst defender. Like he did a lot of good stuff, but he was their worst defender. And there's another Murray. Are you aware of the other Murray brother? I, I am aware of the other Murray, and he he seems like he's going to be a good prospect. He, maybe, maybe not as good as Keegan, but yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's really good. <laughs> like he might be the best pro prospect <laughs> in the league again. Like which is just crazy. Because um, when you look at like what. Chris Murray did last year at this time, he was putting up stupid numbers, you know, 28 and 12, just against nobody teams. And so we were kind of taking it with a grain of salt. Like, is he really doing this? And then later in the year, he did it against big teams. Well, 
know, Chris Murray just went and absolutely destroyed Seton Hall the other night. And like, looks like he, he, cause I, I tried to like temper expectations, but I was like, it's not fair just cause he looks like Keegan right. to be like, he's that good. I mean, that seems silly. Right. But uh, yeah, he might be. So in the league itself though, you know, Indiana is, I think gets the claim to be the favorite until proven otherwise. Illinois was my pick because I thought just on paper talent, if I'm like, I'm going to take the top six on every team and just look at the top six, Illinois talent wise probably was a notch to me above everyone else. Now it's a whole new team though. You know, Kofi's gone. Um, They lost all kinds of other pieces. It's basically an entirely new team. Brad Underwood's a really good coach, but what is he going to do? We get to see Illinois play. I don't know when you're dropping this, but they play UCLA soon. And that's kind of an interesting measurement game. Michigan State's been the surprise. You know, um, they played really well against Gonzaga. Then they go and they beat Kentucky on a night where I thought Michigan State's experience and they basically their top six completely intact. But it was a team that finished like seventh in the Big Ten last year, was a number seven seed in the NCAA tournament. Like, why would they be that discernibly better? You know, like this is something we talk about on, on my podcast is the like the love of the preseason move to just say, oh, well, this team comes back intact, so they're going to be really great. Where you're like, well, they finished eighth last year, so why are they going to be that much better? You know, I, right. what kind of magic beans did they take last summer? So, uh, but Michigan State looked really good. They probably have the best backcourt in the conference. So um, you got to give them respect. And, you know, Michigan, I don't know, it might be a minute for Michigan to come together. They have Hunter Dickinson, who you think kind of gives them a ceiling, or I'm sorry, a floor, that is higher than most teams um, just because he's going to be, you know, a second team All-American or something. So they're not going to be that bad, but they played Arizona State last night and looked awful. So um, it's going to take some time for, I think, the the Michigan Wolverines to kind of figure some things out there. They're young. They have a new point guard who's a transfer from Princeton, Jalen Llewellyn. Um, You know, one of their highest usage offensive guys is a freshman Jet Howard, who is Juwan Howard's son. Mm. And I think it's going to take some time for him to kind of figure some things out. So, um, yeah, they got, they've got some growing to do. And going back quickly to Iowa, I, I think they're a very interesting program in that they've, in, in recent years especially, very good program, uh, have won, you know, 20 games, over 20 games, uh, have, have had – really good seasons in the Big Ten. But yet, Fran McCaffrey, he's only taken them past the second round one time at his, at yeah. his, in his tenure at Iowa. I mean, are they – do you ever see them? Do you think this group can, can really take that next step? Or, you know, what, what do you think about them as a, as a program? They, they, they seem like they're, they're generally just stuck in that, you know, good but, yeah. but never great territory. I mean, I bought in. I bought all the way in at the end of last year when they won the Big Ten tournament – obviously covered that and they just in their last two games they they beat Indiana who was playing as well as pretty much anyone in the country like for that week and then they smacked Purdue in the championship game and were just cooking like I thought they were going to make a real run at you know maybe an elite eight maybe further because they had this you know dynamic player in Keegan Murray and then all the pieces around them and then they go and they just shit the bed against Richmond in the NCAA tournament scored 63 points in that game, which was just, 
I mean, they were putting, they were hanging like 85 on everybody, no problem. And then they went and scored 63 points against an A-10 team that barely made the tournament. I think Richmond won the A-10 championship game, and that's the only reason they they got in. Um, it was pretty embarrassing. And yeah, I mean, that's the that's the thing on, on Fran right now. And, you know, he's, it, it's kind of one of those, like, be careful what you wish for. Iowa fans, like if you want to run him out of town, because going to the NCAA tournament every year is really, really hard. And, you know, you make the wrong move, bring someone in. Like this goes for so many programs in the country. This is not like an Iowa thing. Mm -hmm. This is like the general, like don't, you don't fire coaches who go to the NCAA tournament every year just because you think like you should be in the second weekend or you should be making final four appearances because the alternative is worse. And it usually like the odds of you hiring someone who's going to come in and suddenly start taking you to final fours, pretty slim. So I do feel like Fran is probably a better coach than giving credit for all he does. He's had a top five offense nationally. I think the last five years in a row, it's pretty damn good. And he's also a product of the Philadelphia Catholic league. So he has that going for him as well. Of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that's so true about there being way worse problems than, oh man, we, we made the tournament, but you know, we, we lost in the second round again this year. I, I think of, you know, the, the program that immediately comes to mind when you say that about be careful what you wish for is Pitt. You know, would they like to have yes. Jamie Dixon back? Do you think? <laughs> yes. And lo and behold, he goes down to TCU and right. is now getting TCU to the NCAA tournament, which like, had, had you ever heard of TCU basketball before Jamie Dixon got there? I don't think so. No, 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 no. I remember, uh, oh God, was it Lee Malian, I think was a, was yes! a score for them back in the day. Um, did Dar no, Darvin Ham went to Texas Tech, I believe. Yeah, yeah. He no, did. Nobody ever hears, yeah. Text, no, uh, like the only TCU thing you knew about, the only thing you knew about TCU hoops was that Jamie Dixon went there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's a, that's a good that's a good segue uh, about the Big Twelve. You know, TCU does have a good team this year. Uh, it appears like Kansas and Baylor are going to be fighting it out for the top of the Big Twelve. But then maybe you know, I, I was going to ask you, kind of that outside of Kansas, Baylor, really those Texas schools. I, I feel like are are next in line with with Texas, TCU, and and even Texas Tech. I think. What's well, the best league in the country by? A margin, like like it. I don't think it is. It is close. Um, you know, the SEC can make a claim. Like if the Big Ten's really good, they could maybe get into the conversation. But right now, I think the Big Twelve is like so far ahead of everyone else. When like poor Porter Moser, right? He goes from Loyola to Oklahoma, and thinking like, man, Oklahoma basketball has got good history. I can turn this thing around. And lo and behold. He gets told that he's moving to the SEC and has to play his remaining years in this mega conference that is just beasts all over the place. Kansas is the defending national champion. Texas is about to like, it looks like turn into a top five program under Chris Beard. Texas Tech has been rolling for a few years now. Baylor won the national championship before Kansas and is really, really good. Scott Drew could conceivably like make a good argument for being the best coach in the country. Oklahoma State's been pretty solid under Boynton. West Virginia, still coached by Bob Huggins, still tougher than hell. Iowa State's good. TCU's good. Kansas State's 
pretty good, even though they have a first-year coach. Like, it is a monster, monster league. And I think the big question is, do you see separation at the top? Or is it going to be pretty bunched where, you know, maybe maybe one team wins the league by two games and everyone else is really bunched in and you end up getting like eight and CAA bids? Because if they just destroy everyone in non-conference play, I feel like finishing seventh or eighth in the Big 12 is going to be, you're still probably going to be a pretty good team this year. So Kansas obviously won won the national championship last year. Mm-hmm. Who, who who do you like top end wise? I mean, do you do you think Kansas has enough to to get back into that spot again this year? Do you like Baylor? Yeah. Uh, in terms of the league itself, like Kansas, Kansas is the favorite in the Big Twelve until someone else wins the Big Twelve. Yeah. Period. Um, it's it's just the way it is. Um. And they can win it again. You know, I think my big question is like, how good can Jalen Wilson be? Can he be a first team All-American? Because if he is, well, Kansas starts to look a lot like last year's Kansas team. And that team won the whole thing. And now Ochai Agbaji was obviously like the, the thing that took them to that other level. And if Jalen Wilson can kind of follow a similar trajectory maybe he can take them back to that level because they've got the other pieces. Like Dewan Harris is about as good of a lead guard as you'll see out there. And he really makes them go and, and he knows what he's doing. He's played games and got a great newcomer and Grady Dick. Have you seen Grady Dick? I have not. No. Oh, you're going to love Grady Dick. Okay. Um, super smooth. A lot of feel crafty, skilled. He's got some shit kicker in him. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's good. Love. Perfect. That's that's exactly why I have you on, Brendan. That's, that's the information I need. Uh, well, you mentioned the SEC briefly, so let me go there. I think I told you this last year. I have a bias against SEC basketball. It's it's from it's longstanding, right? Twenty twenty five years in the making. Um, I'll give you Kentucky's Kentucky, right? They're they're always going to be good. Um, Arkansas, we've talked about. Uh, they they excellent recruiting class really seem to be mm-hmm. on the come up. I'll give you Alabama. I'm, I'm a big Nate Oates guy. I like Alabama. Auburn, I, Bruce Pearl, I think is, is, is scummy, but they are good. <laughs> it's, a little more, it's a little way to describe and, it. And he brings in talent. And then Tennessee. So five teams there, Kentucky, Arkansas, Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee. Do I have to pay attention to anybody else? Um, not really. I mean, I think like Florida is kind of interesting because it's first year for Todd Golden, who's like been deemed uh, this like young Jedi, but because like he uses metrics, it's always been very funny. Like people like talk about Todd Golden, like, man, you know, he really just goes by the numbers. You're like, people have been doing this for years, but okay. I guess Todd Golden has reinvented the wheel, but I think he's an interesting hire at Florida. So, you know, I'm watching it for, for those purposes. Um, Matt McMahon at LSU is, I think, really interesting. He was the guy who was at Murray State for all these, like, I think a decade or so. He coached John Morant there. He brought a bunch of dudes with him to LSU. He brought Justice Hill and KJ Williams. And um, they have Adam Miller. Do you remember Adam Miller, who was, like, really good guard on the come up and went to Illinois. And then he was, like, a top 25 guard. He went to Illinois. Didn't work out there. Sat out a year. Now he's back at LSU. I don't know okay. if they're going to be good, but I think they're interesting. Um, Didn't say, but yeah, good. I mean, I said they were interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, the, 
you know, Kentucky's probably the, the, the favorite and, you know, it's probably going to be a pretty typical Cal team where he's going to, um, you know, be writhing around and, you know, I don't know what to do with these guys and, oh my God, this, that, the other thing. And then they're, you know, they'll go whatever, 15 and three, 14 and four in the SEC and they'll win the league and then they'll be a one or a two seed and, you know, they'll lose on a bad possession in the Sweet 16. And then all the cat fans will be saying, you know, Cal's done. It'll be the same thing over and over and over again. Um, I don't know what's going on in Tennessee. You know, Rick Barnes, like calling out dudes, calling out Zakai Ziegler, which was kind of random. I don't know what that was all about, but, you know, they should be pretty good. But we'll see. I mean, took taking that L to Colorado, who is like the most disjointed team in the country, um, is a little head scratching early, but the name I'll give you is uh, Johnny Broom at Auburn, who is one of my favorite guys in the transfer portal this year. He played at Moorhead State last year, and uh, he's just this like like skinny ish, like six ten, six eleven guy who looks like he should be like a stretch big, but isn't, and just plays at the basket and just gets buckets. And uh, he's at Auburn. He was one of those dudes where like Johnny Broom was in the transfer portal. And I'm like, oh man, I love this kid. I can't wait to watch him play high major ball. And then he goes to Auburn. And you're just like, oh, I know. Gross. I know. That's how I felt about <laughs> Walker Kessler too. <laughs> These guys I like end up at Auburn. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, damn it. Yeah. Like Jab- Jabari Smith had some of that, but you were at least like, well, at least he's playing at Auburn. So they're just going to play a million miles an hour and let him you know, run, jump, and dunk on everyone. And that's exactly what happened um, until it mattered. And they played Miami in the NCAA tournament. And old-ass Jim Laranega just schooled Bruce, beat him by 20 to end that season. So um, if, you, if you think golf Twitter is annoying, you should see Auburn basketball Twitter. It's a whole subsection. <laughs> well, I try to poke the bear with my with my shots at Bruce Pearl and, and Auburn basketball, but well, if you go after Bruce, you'll get Auburn basketball and wild right wing uh, Twitter too coming at you. <laughs> oh God! Um, all right, where do we go from there? Let's uh, let's go to the ACC. What do you think of John Shire? You like you you like him taking over for Coach K? Do you know that he's the youngest high major coach in college basketball? It, I didn't know that for a fact, but it doesn't surprise me. What is he, mid-34, 35? He's like 34, yeah. and he's at Duke. Um, yeah, man, I mean, that's a big-ass job. That's a big ask to go step into that spot. I mean, he is rec- he's on an absolute tear recruiting. Um, they're just getting dudes all over the place, top, top 10 kids, top 15 kids, five stars. They got them all lined up, so, like, they haven't missed a beat there. How do they coach him? I think they'll be fine. Um, yeah, it's not it's not rocket science. I mean, <laughs> when you have that much talent, but you know, it's it's also hard um, coaching young teams. And college basketball is getting older and older and older. And you know, is Duke going to be a program that are they going to be mixing these five stars with like portal old guys? Like, what does this program look like for the next five years in terms of roster construction is probably my biggest question. Um, Or do they go and, you know, try to identify three-star kids and have like kind of a healthy mix of program players who are actual holdovers year after year? Like, I've kind of felt in recent years, 
before the portal opened up that like Villanova was the model, like get one five star, but then more so build around, you know, guys who you identify for your system, identify for your program and then get old and have fourth and fifth year players in your program who have played big East basketball, been to the NCAA tournament, you know, at the, with five minutes late in a second round game in the NCAA, they are not absolutely in a cold sweat freaking out, right? You want guys who've been there. You want Archidiakono type guys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now, I, what does it look like? Because you can you can get old quick in college basketball, which wasn't an option before the transfer portal. And so when I look at a program like Duke, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, are they going to go and just get the best two players out of the portal? and just pair them up with five stars, like what are they going to do? How's it going to look? That's my question for Shire. In terms of this year, I mean, I love uh, Filipowski. Have you seen him? No, I haven't watched Duke yet. So Okay. Well, he's this like seven-foot freshman who's got all kinds of ball skills and can do all kinds of stuff. And um, Ooh, That's he's my really, heart fluttering. Yeah. Really, really, really good. <laughs> Um, and then like Jeremy, you know, Jeremy Roach makes him go. Um, and he's an experienced guy that, you know, they do have some guys back. Um, they brought, brought in Ryan Young from Northwestern. Imagine being Northwestern, by the way. So Northwestern, their two best players off of a team that wasn't particularly good transferred to Duke and North Carolina. Yeah, that's tough. And, uh, (laughs) it's a tough pill. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Chris Collins, uh, I don't really feel bad for him because he knows about Duke. Uh, I, I was going to ask you, Louisville, are we headed for a Rick Pitino reunion at Louisville? Uh, they've, they've taken some early season one-point losses under new coach Kenny Payne. How much patience do you think Louisville is going to have with that, uh, especially as Patino keeps going at Iona? So it, it's not just the L's on the court, it's the L's off the court. And you know, when Louisville hired DJ Wagner's grandfather and put him on the staff, I'm thinking that they thought that that meant that they were going to get DJ Wagner, who is arguably the top recruit in the 2023 class. And instead, he's going, not only not going to Louisville, but he's going to Kentucky, which is just the worst for them. So... <laughs> Um, that's all. It's hard. I mean, you lose to to Bellarmine, Wright State, and App State by one point at home, and now you hit the harder part of your schedule, where they play Arkansas in a neutral court. They they get Maryland at home. They play Miami at home. They go to Florida State. <sighs> they also play Western Kentucky later, and you know Western Kentucky sitting here licking its lips because any chance that they get to beat Louisville or Kentucky is just prime, right? So, yeah, this is really bad and could be worse soon. So, I don't know. Do they tear up Kenny Payne's contract after one year? Like, I don't think so. But you asked, like, what kind of patience does the Louisville fans have? None. Exactly. Yeah. At all. So, (laughs) I mean, when you look at what, like, Chris Mack did at, you know, I'm not exactly like a huge Chris Mack guy, but – record wise and stuff like, you know, coming going into COVID, he would have, the thought of him being pushed out of that program was zero chance. And then he lost some games and they just ran his ass out of there. So, you know, Kenny Payne's different. He's a program legend. And that's, this is the hard part when you hire the best player in school history. 
Mm-hmm. And then you have to fire them potentially, right? I'm not saying that's going to happen with Kenny Payne, but um, this is about as bad of a start as you could get. But like Georgetown's going through that right now. Like, how do you fire Patrick Ewing? Right. If you're Georgetown, St. John's has to fire Chris Mullen. It's just awkward as hell. Yeah, it is. Uh, UNC, do you like UNC as a, as a national title contender again this year? Yeah, I mean, Baycott. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Baycott yeah. brings them, uh, you know, kind of that that steady, you know, you just know what you're going to get every night. And then, you know, Caleb Love is a rocket ship. Leaky Black's great. They bring in Pete Nance, who's maybe one of the best transfers in the country. Um, you see Hubert Davis has kind of been smacking them around publicly. Um, saying he said it was the one quote he goes, uh, you know, it's really hard to see a team do the exact opposite of what you tell them to do. <laughs> and so that's that's kind of where I feel like maybe they were smelling them. Maybe he feels like they were smelling themselves yeah. a little bit, you know, catching a whiff and trying to knock them kind of down a couple pegs. That's the whole vibe coming out of Chapel Hill. So um, they have a dangerous game this weekend though james madison's really good and they're going to chapel hill and they're going to try to win that game but if they don't um the most interesting game to kind of catch north carolina in is is they go to bloomington which is just a great early season game in college basketball north carolina at indiana like that's that's the good stuff and i will forever ride on the block that they should play marquee college basketball games on campus uh it's how about on boats do you like that (laughs) no it's a travesty (laughs) play these games on campus for christ's sake uh well we have two more quote-unquote power conferences we can uh actually big east i think is 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 a very fascinating conference this year for me a lot of that is because of obviously jay wright's departure Mm -hmm. at villanova first year for kyle neptune is the new coach there but then you have Sean Miller back at Xavier. You have Thad Mata back at Butler. Shaheen Holloway back at Seton Hall. <laughs> um, what? Uh, but but really, I guess I don't want to gloss over it. It seems like Creighton, at least right now, uh, appears to be not only loaded, but they, I feel like they always play a really entertaining brand of basketball. Yeah, I mean they run beautiful offense. They just absolutely score the ball. They fill it up um, and. It's been an adjustment, I think, kind of like transitioning Creighton's style to like Big East style. When, you know, we think of Big East basketball, it's kind of like, you know, lock them in a cage and exactly. who crawls out of there, you know? Yeah, exactly. So kind of marrying that style has been a process when they come came over from the NBC. But ever, like Greg McDermott absolutely has that thing rolling now in that league they go to the end they go to the NCAA tournament every year they're a second weekend style team every year they're the best team in the big east this year most talented um and, and part of that is all those question marks you you rattled off like um of those teams i i don't think any of them are you know the biggest threat to creighton like uconn might be the biggest threat to creighton this year um but villanova is super fascinating you know i don't know how much to read into uh the start that they've had and losing to Temple was certainly jarring, but even more jarring was like really under the radar earlier this week. I don't know how many people were paying attention, but they were in like a two point game with Delaware state late at home where they never lose, especially non-conference games. And they pulled away and ended up winning by 10, but it was like, 
It was one of those I was sitting at a restaurant and like pulling it, like scrambling to pull it up on my phone to watch some like random ESPN Plus broadcast because I was like, no way is Villanova going to lose the, the Delaware State Hornets. But um, the thing with them is they're without Cam Whitmore, who is a lottery pick, a five-star kid, was going to be their best player, hasn't taken the floor yet. They've got other injuries. So they're kind of playing right now like with their auxiliary pieces as opposed to the full unit. Mm-hmm. So I'm more curious to see what they look like in February. But yeah, like Neptune taking over over Jay Wright is, you know, 1A version of Shire taking over for K. Like, yes, you know, K is his own thing. But Jay Wright was the best coach in college basketball. Yeah. Period. End of sentence in the last five years, 10 years, whatever. Um, and, you know, Kyle Neptune put in, what, one year at Fordham? And is now handed the keys to Villanova. Um, it's kind of a, a big deal. They're going to try to play the same style uh, and, and just kind of transfer the culture over to a new regime. But they basically kept the same staff. Um, but that's really hard to do. It is really hard. It, 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 it is. Yeah. Um, what, what do you hear about Jay Wright? Uh, is there speculation was it just, you know, I've, I've accomplished everything I can accomplish at Villanova. Does, does he still have a hunger to coach? Does, did he want to get away for a few years? What, what have you heard? Yeah, I mean, it was, I, I got to follow most of their uh, NCAA run last year, was at all three of their locations. And in hindsight, after the retirement came, I was like, man, that makes sense. Because he just looked like he was kind of, a little done with it. And, and he would, his press conferences, he would speak about it in terms of like his run at Villanova, kind of in a, like, like he knew he was gone. Yeah. He knew he was leaving. And you could, once you went back and rewatched his press conferences, you're like, man, he really did know. So I think it was a um, accumulation of, of things, the direction of college basketball. I think he's just kind of not on board with having to change and, do it all over again and do it a different way between the portal name, image, and likeness. Um, I think he just didn't really like the overall direction of the game and he's accomplished a lot. And I think he just wanted to walk away, you know, and I don't see him getting it back in anytime soon. Like if he does, it won't be anytime soon. He just got, okay. he got a, uh, a contract with um, a TV deal and it's like, it's not a, you know, hey, how about you do a couple games type of deal? It's a, you know, he's he's going to be a kind of centerpiece presence for the broadcast and blah, blah, blah. So that's his next chapter right now. And, you know, he's going to be speculated every single time a job comes open, whether it's the, the Sixers or any premier job in college basketball. Um, you know, he's everyone's going to be just saying, you know, oh, Jay Wright's sitting there. What, what are your expectations of Thad Mata? That was that was a. a- a move that surprised me, I guess, both for, for Thad and for Butler. I, I think it's a good hire. Uh, my only questions with with Mata were around his health and everything, you know, to do with that. But uh, obviously, a guy that had tremendous success at Butler had really good seasons at Ohio State. Do, do you think he can kind of build that Butler brand? back up i feel like since moving to the big east and this is kind of a product of you know going to play with the big boys that that butler brand quote unquote i i feel like has has slipped a little bit Mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of wild when you look back at Butler, like when Laval Jordan's second year, um, you know, they, he had it as like a top five program. That that year kind of went off the map. COVID hits, program falls apart. They lose players left and right. They stink last year, and then it, that's over. You know, like it just happens that that fast. I, I do think Thad can, can get it back, but it's a really hard lead to – get it back in, you know, like, okay, well, who's going to take a step back in order for Butler to take a step up would be like just as big of a question as, you know, can Thad get it really rocking? Cause you go right down that line, you know, Creighton is Creighton. UConn is going to be good this year. Seems, you know, Danny Hurley's getting dudes there. They are getting top 25 kids. He has a lot of talent. Um, does Villanova take a step back? Maybe, but Xavier's taking a step up because Sean Miller is going to get Xavier rocking. I know, and that's, without without question. I and I hate that. I <laughs> I hate everything about that. I really do. I really do. But it's true. I mean, he he absolutely is going to get them get them going. Yeah, and then you know, like Providence isn't going to stop losing winning games under Ed Cooley. Um, I'm still buying on Shaka Smart at Marquette. So, yeah, I mean, I just don't – I don't know where Butler fits. And Thad Matt is a hell of a coach. He's going to put together a staff that can get kids, and they're going to try to build that, I think, back into kind of what the the Butler brand, like you mentioned, is supposed to be. Um, I just don't know where it's going to stack up. They're not going to be good this year. You know, they're probably a six or seven win team in the league this year. Um but we'll see what they have coming in. Uh, and then we got to go to the Pac-12. I, I mean, I guess <laughs> UCLA is supposed to be good. <laughs> I do like Tommy Lloyd now at Arizona. I, I, I really liked last year's team. Was surprised that that they lost earlier in the in the tournament. Um, anybody else you have an eye on out there outside of UCLA and Arizona? You know, Oregon should be good. Um, and I just wrote about Bobby Hurley this week. Um, they just go and absolutely ran Michigan off the floor, but they also lost to Texas Southern, I guess a couple weeks or last weekend. Um, but they're certainly interesting. I find Bobby Hurley fascinating. And uh, you know, I turned, I turned 40 this year and he turned 50 last year. So since I turned 40, I find I've, I'm finding that every story I write about like a coach or anything is about um, men facing existential crisis about where <laughs> yeah. they are, their places in their lives. And so uh, <laughs> I went and sat down with Bobby early and the conversation just magically kind of went that way. But anyway, yeah, UCLA is really good. I like Arizona a lot. Um, they just have a ton of size. The name I'll give you is Pella Larson. He was a six man on last year's team and he was behind three actual pros who all ended up getting drafted and and Larson started the year with an injury and but he might have started if he had come in healthy he transferred from Utah but he is a Swedish guy he's really 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 good he is skilled he is tough he is a high high end perimeter defender um a 40% three point shooter he's really good he's a guy i think is going to kind of break out a little bit this year and you know, so they have all this pro size and talent and guys like Cedric Henderson. And then you got Kirk Kreza, who is the ultimate shit talker in college basketball. A huge fan yeah. of Kirk Kreza. Yep. Um, and he's hitting threes randomly this year. He's like 
fit 70%. I don't know if he's going to keep that up, but if he's making threes, man, they are, they're damn near unbeatable. So uh, yeah, I like Arizona actually to come out of the Pac-12. That's, uh, that's good. That's good intel. Um, all right. Well, then the best of the rest, we can kind of end here. I, I don't want to take too much of your time. Obviously, we know <laughs> about Houston. They're playing in the American Conference. Gonzaga's, for now, still out in the West Coast Conference. Uh, I, I think we know that they're going to be excellent. Outside of those teams, any other – you know, Memphis think, isn't a yeah. mid-major, but any quote-unquote mid-majors? I, I know you're a big A-10 guy. Anybody in the A-10 you like? Yeah, so the it's kind of the usual suspects in St. Mary's and San Diego State. Both really good, are, are going to be, you know, six seeds in the NCAA tournament, whatever. Um, really, really good, kind of as usual. Um, out of the A-10, St. Louis, Dayton, both really good. The team that I like, though, the, the mid-major special for you yeah, please. is Drake. Ooh. So we're going, to, we're going to Des Moines, Iowa, and uh, I'll take Drake as my, my team this year. I'm actually hoping to go out there and, and write about him. But um, Darian DeVry is the head coach there. He's a long, long, long-time assistant at Creighton, and he's now been at Drake for, I don't know, five or six years, but won a 20, won 20 games every year there. He's really good. They're like 50 and 25 in the Valley under him. Um, bring back five of their top seven scorers, and four of them are entering their fifth year wow. of college. So they're old. They've played together. And then they have a young guy, Tucker DeVry, who is the coach's son. Stud. Absolute stud. He was the Valley freshman of the year last year. Um, he could be player of the year. This year, he'll probably lead them in scoring, but he's really, really good. They know how to score. Like, DeVry's had a top 75 offense, I think, each of the last three or four years. And with Loyola heading to the A-10, I think the Valley now goes through Drake. And the Valley is interesting because they do lose Loyola, but they bring in Murray State, who basically owned the OVC since we were kids, at least. Uh, And... But Drake and they look good. good. They just beat Texas A and M. Uh, Murray State did. That's that's a hell of a program. Um, mm-hmm. All right, Drake. That's that's excellent. I love Valley basketball. Um, <laughs> I don't think there's a clear cut, you know, kind of top end Mid American conference team this year. At least it doesn't seem like. I, I could be. <laughs> it's not Ohio. It's not Miami. No, it's certainly not Miami. Unfortunately. <laughs> uh, that's if there were a favorite in the uh, neck, I don't know, uh, probably like Toledo or Kent State. It's the usual suspects. I always feel yeah. like Kent, Akron, Toledo are probably uh, at least they were the preseason favorites. Yeah, we'll be curious. Dayton, that's that's another one. Obviously, I'm I'm from Cincinnati, so always keep tabs on on Dayton. Uh, well, Brendan, this is great. I want to tell people uh, Thanksgiving week, like I said, excellent time to watch a lot of college basketball. Underrated. Feast week. Underrated in the pantheon of sports. I totally agree. For sure. I totally agree. I think it's a shame that the preseason NIT isn't still, you know, what it used to be. Um, but I will say the Maui Invitational this year has an excellent field. Arizona, Arkansas, Creighton, UC, Ohio State, Louisville, San Diego State, and Texas Tech. I mean, I, the the pretty eight, good. Yeah, the seventh place game in that tournament will be a, a, a fascinating matchup. So you have that. You have some Phil Knight Invitationals this year. You have the Cancun Challenge. So encourage folks to check out Feast Week. 
Brendan, thank you very much. Like I said, folks can find you on Twitter uh, at BF Quinn. They can find you on The Athletic and uh, check out your podcast, The Moving Screen. Always a joy to talk college basketball with you and best of luck covering the season. I look forward to next year. Thanks, Big. Favorite trapper, the absolute truth, yeah, no joke. Who